right. Well, uh, born in Rolling Hills. Good to see you guys. Come on up. Um, so uh, my name is Jason, and one of the responsibilities I have here at the church is to help run and pastor the community groups. And uh, ever since we've been a church, I think since 1978, community groups have been a big intrinsic part of what we do here, help connecting uh, people in the church, not only to God, but to each other as well. And today, uh, we're actually pretty excited because we get to commission some new groups that have happened during COVID. And we haven't gotten the chance to do this for like two years. So this is pretty amazing. So I just want to introduce some people, and then my friend Angie over here is going to introduce some more people, and then my buddy Troy is going to be praying for everybody. So right here, we've got Mike and Ken. Um, you guys are running the military ministry, which has now become part of the community group ministry. So we're excited to see them there and uh, everything that's going on. And then my buddy Scott over here. Scott, give a little wave. Uh, he's got a group that leads uh, right here, actually, at the church, and he's going through a Bible study. And um, unfortunately, some people who weren't able to be here are uh, Don and Jen Vernum. They um, are out of town this week, um, but they started a group up in the Gladstone, Oregon City area. So we're excited to see what God's going to do through them. And not only that, Angie's got some people she wants to introduce to you. Yeah, I'm excited to introduce um, some community groups that are actually young adult focused. And so even though not all of them are young adults, our young adult community groups are going to be um, hosted and mentored by some not quite young adults. Um, and so we've got three of those groups happening this fall. Two of them are up here. And so Wendy and Reed Aldrich host with Mackenzie and Andrea, Will and Mindy. Um, helping with the leadership. And then uh, Jeremy and Bridget Enright are also stepping in to mentor a group that is starting brand new this fall. So if you guys are interested as young adults or in any of the other community groups, you can stop by the Join Community Station um, or be looking for updates on our website when we make um, our community group directory go live and you can find our open groups and um, one to join this fall. So I'm gonna hand it off to Troy. And I'm going to get behind you guys. That way I can see you when I pray. Can you all stand with me, please? And I'm going to do my best to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Okay. Um, uh, God in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you for creating these leaders and giving them the heart to lead community groups. May your kingdom come and your will be done in their groups, that they're filled with grace, love, mercy, fun, compassion. Um, give each of them what they need each day to be good leaders and good guides. Um, forgive them their sins. Keep, keep their um, accounts short and give them the heart to have forgiveness in their group so that they can be open and transparent. Um, and then finally, protect them. Keep them from temptation and deliver them from the evil one because they go to do your work and they go to do good. Um, and God, for yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory. And I pray for each of these groups that what they do would echo into eternity. It's just not for now, it's just not for here, but it's forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, as soon as you sit down, you can stand back up. Because we're going to do our prayer that we've been doing through the month of August. I'm serious. I'm sorry. You know, I don't know. You may, you may reach your step goal just by uh, being in church today. But uh, we are going to put up on the, on the board here 
Um, a prayer we've been praying, well, we invited you to pray all month long. One that, uh, you know, if there's first thing in the morning, it is nothing better than to remember what's true. Remember what's true about God, remember what's true about yourself. Um, this week, the phrase that's hit me is, Jesus settled the score, and I don't have to hurry or worry. It's like, well, then what am I going to do in life, you know? <laughs> um, so let's pray this together. Dear Father, you have created me for your glory. I'm not what I have, what I do, or what people say. God, I am your child, and no one can take that away. There's nothing I can do to make you love me less or more. Jesus settled the score so I don't have to hurry or worry. I am known, loved, and forgiven. Heavenly Father, I rest in your love while courageously extending kindness to others. Amen. Okay, you can sit down for a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, we're in the book of Acts. It has been so fun to study and to teach. And I hope it's, you know, if it's half as fun for you, then we're doing good. Um, it has been neat just to see how God transformed uh, people's lives right after Jesus handed the baton and said, okay, now it's time for my followers to start sharing the good news. And, and how the church was birthed out of that. And, um, you know, and that was like 30 A.D., and then um, it began to grow in the, in the area of Jerusalem. And then, um, you know, there was conflict and there was opposition. And in 44 AD, um, King Herod Agrippa executed the apostle James. And that, as well as before that, you know, uh, Stephen was executed. And, and so that began pushing the gospel out which was what Jesus said, said, go into all the world and teach the gospel. And so that began to happen, and it, it kind of migrated north up, so the, the hub of Jesus' followers moved from Jerusalem, and it, it moved north to a place called Antioch. And then from Antioch, um, a couple of missionaries were sent out, and we learned that last week. And so we're going to put the map of um, Paul and Barnabas were the first missionaries to be sent out. And this is the uh, route they took. They left from Antioch. They went to Cyprus. And then they went into Asia. Um, and uh, in the, specifically the area of Galatia. And so then today we're going to look at the second missionary journey. Okay, The second time Paul gets sent out. And so let's look at this. And so he covers a lot more land. All right, and so they go from Antioch and the, the little black kind of circle that I didn't know how to do a good circle, so that's what I did. Um, uh, that area is where that first missionary journey kind of focused on in Galatia. But then look at they, they move on. Now, who's the team this time? Well, it's not Paul and Barnabas because remember, they had a falling out because halfway through their first missionary journey, one of their one young leaders who was with them, John Mark, quit on him and he went home and so the second missionary journey got together and Barnabas is going hey John Mark needs a second chance I think he's learned a lot I think he's good to go and Paul's saying hey fool me once you know no way we're not we're not doing this and so they went on separate missionary journeys all right and so with Paul this time is um, a man named Silas 
who was actually a leader in the Jerusalem church, all right? And he had moved up north to Antioch, and so Silas goes with Paul. Then a man that uh, they pick up on their journey in Lystra. So that's in that Galatia area where the black um, designation is. And Lystra, remember Lystra was the place that stoned Paul last week, left him for dead. They first worshipped him, thought he was part of the Greek mythology, and then they realized he wasn't, and so they tried to kill him. And, uh, and that is the place that Timothy's from. And so um, young Timothy, a young up-and-coming leader, um, joins him there. And then one more person joins him. And the reason we know that is because in chapter 16, verse 4, it says, as they went, verse 8, as they went, Verse 10, we sought to go. Whoa, what just happened? It was they, 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 and now we. And so the actual author of the book of Acts joins them on this missionary journey. So Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke's a Gentile. Um, he's actually, when he joins them, I think he's probably closer to Troas, which is along the coast. And so what happened is they know they're going to push farther um, east. And so Paul wanted to go down um, to the Colossae area and to Ephesus, and the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going to go there. So he says, okay, so I'm going to go north, and I'm going to go up to Bithynia and go that way, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going to go there. And so, um, you know, he's going, I'm going somewhere. I'm on a missionary journey. I'm going somewhere. And so he has a vision from God from a man from Macedonia, which is across the Aegean Sea, saying, come and speak to me. And so they take off. I think he picks up Dr. Luke, maybe at Troas, and then they go across the Aegean Sea and where that um, arrow there is Philippi. Now let's go to the last picture, last map. So that gives you a little clearer understanding of how they got to where we're going to focus on today in Philippi. All right, and so we're going to start with... Um, Verse 12 of chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, take them out, mark them up, and, uh, and let's say this together. Okay, 1612. From there they traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony. And so let me tell you a couple things about Philippi. By the way, I had to cut out so much history today. I, had, I was so excited about all the history. And so, sorry. Um, <laughs> Philippi was named after Philip, father of Alexander the Great. Um, it was a Roman colony, which means its citizens had really special rights as a, as a Roman colony. Um, they, they could own land. They could own, buy, sell property. They, they weren't taxed. Wow, that's a cool thing. You know, everybody in America would be moving to that state if it was here, you know. Um, they weren't taxed. They... Uh, um, they were given special rights. They couldn't be tried without a trial. Uh, uh, what else? Oh, and, and the, they were on the primary east-west east trade route. And so this was a happening city. It was well-known, well-respected, and a, a key hub um, in the Roman, um, the Roman world. <clears throat> okay, so it was a Roman colony and leading and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Okay, this is also the first time that 
Jesus, the, new, the good news of Jesus, is brought into Europe. You know, um, we in America think, you know, everything's pretty much about us. And so sometimes we even think, and you may have heard this, you know, Christianity is just a white religion. It's a religion of the West. Well, the truth is the Bible um, has very little to do with white people. Okay, it is mostly an Eastern book, the Middle East, and then Africa, then Asia, and, and then at the end, we start getting into Europe. And so today, it's getting into Eastern Europe. All right? So, uh, verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went to the city gate to the river. So this is interesting. Why are they going to the river? Where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And so, uh, as you remember last week, man, they always went, whenever they hit town, they went to the synagogue because Paul was a Jew. And so he knew he'd be received by other Jews in the synagogue. And since he was a rabbi, a learned teacher, they would say, hey, what do you have to share with us? And so it just would open the door for him to have a chance to say, here's our, here's our history and how it led to Jesus. And Jesus is our hope. He's our Messiah. That's what he would do. So now he goes to Philippi and he goes to the river. Why not the synagogue? Well, because um, here's the prerequisite for having a synagogue in your town is you had to have 10 um, God-fearing Jews who were male in your town. And if you had 10, then that justified building a synagogue there. If you didn't, where did you meet? You met near water. Why? Because you need to be ceremonially cleansed, and so water was necessary. And so that's why Paul went down by the river, um, because he wanted to find some Jews and have a chance to share the good news of Jesus. And so on the Sabbath, he went down the river, and he joined a group of women, also telling you, okay, there probably wasn't very many male, God-fearing Jews there, um, who were gathered in 14. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Man, just 14 was just packed full of information about this woman, Lydia. So, okay, so she's a dealer in purple cloth. So she's in the fashion industry. And she's in the high-end fashion industry. Okay, how do I know that? Because it's purple cloth. Purple dye was hard to get. And so a lot of times when you see um, you know, movies and so forth and you see royalty, they have purple on. What's that saying? It's like we have the best of the best. Because there's two places where you got purple back then. One was um, a sea snail. And you got the sea snail and inside had a little bit of dye and it was purple dye. And so you just think about all the sea snails you needed to get in order to get enough purple dye to dye um, a garment, dye a piece of, cloth, a piece of cloth. The other place was a plant that's roots were purple. And so if you ground up those roots, um, you can get a little purple juice out of those roots. And so you just think about all the roots you had to grind up. And so it was a very rare thing. So she was dealing with rare cloth, rare fashion, the most expensive. She was a, um, a business owner. She's from Thyatira which is another massive um, ancient port city. Um, so just, you know, she 
she, uh, she's working in New York and she lived in London, or, or you know, grew up in London. So that's kind of the, uh, the equivalent um, for us today. And so she's doing well. She owns her own business. And then it says she's a worshiper of God. Okay, so she's a Gentile, but she's worshiping the, the God of the Hebrew Bible. And so she's, uh, that means she's rejected the common gods of her people because, you know, in uh, Roman Greco world, there was a lot of Greek mythology and, and they had just hundreds of gods and that was the norm. And she's rejecting that and saying, no, I believe that actually there's only one God. And so um, she's not a full in follower of God yet, but she's intellectually believing it and she's a good moral person. All right. So now something happens in a Verse 14, uh, it says, the Lord opened her heart to the Lord. And so the first European to become a follower of Jesus is Lydia, is Lydia. Um, And there was a change in her. She went from being a good, moral, religious person to a follower of Jesus. So what's the difference? Well, it's, it's all the difference in the world. A, a good moral or religious person is a person that says, you know, if I'm really good, then maybe God will like me more. And you might not say it out loud, but that's kind of the motivation in your heart. If I'm good, um, God will take me shopping and buy me things. You know, that's kind of, you know, it's a crass bottom line deal. So how do you know if you're religious versus a follower of God? Well, one of the ways you know is when you experience difficulty in life, you get ticked off at God. Hey, I've been doing this and this and this, and what do I have to show for it? You mean, you owe me, God, all right? So that's religion. That's morality. That, that's trying to change yourself by aligning yourself to external standards. It's exhausting, it's miserable, and it's a dead end. Okay, what happened to Lydia? She realized there's a God who loves her and pursues her and knows her and has made a way for her to be forgiven of her selfish direction in life and to be forgiven and brought in as his child. And then life transformation is inside out. It's no longer, oh, I hope I'm good enough so God likes me more. It's, I'm unbelievably loved by God. And it, I'm wrecked. I'm, I surrender. I surrender. I, I want to follow you. I trust you. You're a good God. And internally, it transforms you. And that's Lydia. And that's probably... Many of us in this room. I mean, is, is this your story? That God even transforms good moral people. Were you a good religious person trying to be good? You know, and then one day you realize, no, I need to surrender my whole life to God because I trust him and I need his forgiveness. And so I surrender to him. So I'm no longer quasi-religious, moral but God rescued me from that, and now I'm his follower. Anybody, anybody, that's your story. Yeah, love it. 
So God even rescues moral people. Chapter 16, verse 16. And we were going to a place of prayer. We met a slave girl. And so it must be a week later, at least, they're going back to, um, to have a, uh, a worship time, and they meet a slave girl along the way. So this, is a, this girl would be po- beyond poor. She is somebody else's property. She is powerless. She is exploited. And she had a spirit of divination, it says. Um, the literal Greek says she had a spirit, comma, a python. It's like, whoa. So what's that about? So um, again, this goes back to Greek mythology. Um, Apollo came down and he slew a dragon. Uh, That dragon was protecting the spirits that gave insight to the oracles of Delphi. And so when he slew that dragon, all of those spirits became Apollo's property and and he was empowered now by by all of them. And so when it's saying she was controlled by the spirit of Apollos, or because the, or the, Apollo's name then also was Pythias, and that's what he's saying. She's controlled by the spirit of Pythias, a python, Apollo. And so um, what she was is demon-possessed. She was possessed by a demon. Not something in the West that we talk a lot about other than see at the movies. Um, but it is active, and, uh, and we have an enemy, um, and there's spiritual warfare going on, and it has control um, of her. So verse, let's see, where are we? 16, and, and, um, and she brought her owners much money by fortune-telling. All right, and so she, verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So what she's saying, true, but what she's doing is annoying. Okay, she, she, she's, she's mocking them. She's mocking them. She's, cra- she's, she's a distraction to the truth that they're trying to share and the hope that they're trying to share. So finally, Paul has enough, turns, rebukes her, casts out the spirit, the, the spirit leaves her, and then at that moment, you think, oh, people must be so excited for her that she is freed from the bonds of at least her soul from being controlled by the spirit but no, they're, they're, they're not excited. They're going, she's lost her ability to tell our, for, our fortunes. And her owners are going, we just lost income. And so they're ticked off. Um, I think this also means that she placed her faith in God. Now, it doesn't explicitly says that, but um, here's, here's why. Is if you go back to Matthew chapter 12 and Jesus was casting out a demon out of another person, and uh, people were asking him questions about that, and he said, um, you know, here's the issue. When a demon leaves somebody, if that person does not fill the void in their life, then that demon can come back with, with, with reinforcements, and their life is gonna be even worse than it was before. That didn't happen with this girl. So I think she filled the void by placing her faith in God, and so these people are now permanently out of business. And so they're angry. And so I think joining Lydia in the church, the new church of Philippi is a slave girl. I mean, and I love that these are back-to-back. I mean, because talk about different life experiences. You know, Lydia, smart business owner, well-respected, successful, um, 
slave girl demon possessed doesn't have freedom, isn't respected, is being used and controlled by others. And they both need Jesus, and Jesus breaks in. Now, we don't know her backstory other than we know that decisions were made for her that placed her in a, in a terrible place. We also know spiritually that you got to open yourself up in order for a demon to occupy you. And so she maybe made a series of bad decisions that led her to a place in her heart that she found her place totally trapped, totally in darkness, totally despair, and a life really on a course of destruction. And Jesus finds her at that place and rescues her. So what a difference from Lydia. But people in this room, some of you are going, that's my story. I I was in a dark, dark place. A place I never thought I would have gotten myself into, but maybe a series of bad decisions. And uh, I was going on a course of destruction and God found me. I mean, how many, who's that story? Yeah. Yeah. God reaches the mentally proud moral who are desperately in need of God, and God reaches somebody who's doing immoral things. But they're both desperately in need of God. So, um, the owners of the girl and of that business are really mad at Paul and Silas. You've, you've ruined, you've ruined our, our business. You're having an impact on the economy of Philippi, and we're telling the, um, um, the officials. And so they go to the legal officials, and they make a case against Paul and Silas. Well, what about Timothy? What about Luke? They just arrest Paul and Silas. Well, because Paul and Silas were the Jews. Okay, Timothy and Luke weren't. And so they're playing a race card here. They're saying, hey, there's hardly any Jews in this town. We already know that. And so... Um, Jews are messed up, and they're going to mess up our society. They're messing up our beliefs. They're messing up um, how we live because they, they don't believe in all of our gods. And so they need to be arrested and taken care of and to just taken off the street so they can't cause problems. And so that's, um, that's what they do. And then verse 22, the officials gave orders to beat them with rods. Um, it's like the, the equivalent of the police would carry birch rods and there'd be you know, two or three birch rods that were tied together. It's a hard wood. And, um, and so when they were told to beat them, they would take those rods and they would beat Paul and Silas. And, and typically you had internal bleeding. Um, sometimes you had organ damage. You often had broken um, ribs. Um, and sometimes people would die from it. And so that's what happens to Paul and Silas. In verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them safely. And so now enters the jailer. Jailer's a third person in this story that we want to pay attention to, um, and his job is to keep them safe. And so... um, 
Here's one of the things that we know about jailers. Philippi, about 70 years earlier, uh, I think it was Cassius, I don't remember. Um, I think it was. But uh, said Philippi is an is, um, a, uh, important city. We're going to make it an important colony, and we're going to fill it with Roman soldiers to make sure that it's, it's safe. And so typically, retired Roman soldiers were made... Uh, police and jailers. Okay, so this guy is probably, um, you know, honorably discharged from the military and has been given as his retirement gift. You now have the opportunity to continue to earn money as being the, the jailer in Philippi. And so um, that's what he is. Now, um, I, I read this week a bunch of uh, writings of, of Roman historians about. Roman soldiers and what they would do when they conquered a city. Brutal. Ruthless. And it made me think, you know, um, I mean, we know this now, you know, with our soldiers who are come, you know, coming home and they have, been, they have seen battle. They have seen friends killed. They have, seen, they have taken the lives. That that has an impact on you that you need to step into. And you need to work through, you know, PTSD. Now, here's a Roman soldier that saw and did um, brutal things. And so I'm guessing he's impacted, and I think he is, because in verse 24, he's told to put him in prison, keep him safe. And what he does is he puts them in the inner prison and fasten their feet to stocks. The inner prison is the lowest part of the prison. The prisons were usually holes in the ground, and um, they would be thrown into you know, a pit and maybe a dried-out cistern, or maybe they made a you know, series of connected cisterns in the jail cells. Um, but there was one that would be the lowest, and that was the lowest of the low, because everything from the other cells would run downhill. Inner cell, that's where they were put. And then they were put in stocks. Um, Stocks were meant to continue the torture. It was a wooden beam that was wide, that made your legs spread out farther than uh, was comfortable, and then you'd be chained to the, your legs would be chained to the end of those stocks, and they'd be chained to a wall. So here's Paul and Silas, um, beaten, don't know what kind of internal injuries, placed in filth, and placed in an abnormal position. The body was probably cramping up. They were miserable. And then it says around midnight, they were singing praises to God. Yeah, that um, really, the rest, this story's been good so far, but now this is where it just kind of smacked me upside the head. Is, you know, what, what, what gives you the strength to do that in the midst of all this? Just keep your focus on God and to, and to know he's good. And that's where they're at. Then an earthquake happened. Big earthquake. So much so that the, the jail was kind of ruined. Doors fell off the hinges. Chains fell out of the wall. The jailer is panicked. It's his responsibility to keep the prisoners prisoners. If they escape, 
um, he's going to die. He's going to be put to death because he did not keep his responsibility. So he gets ready to kill himself. And Paul yells out, don't do it. We're still here. Sing praises to God. And now, being given evil, he gives back good. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and fell before a trembling Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer hadn't seen anything like this before. I've been evil and cruel to you, and you return my evil with kindness. This is different. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Wow. Jesus shows up again. And maybe um, there's some parallels to your life. Maybe there's things happened earlier in your life that have haunted you. Pain from your past that have held you like a prison, may have resulted in anxiety, bitterness, anger. But in the midst of the trauma of your past where you felt totally imprisoned, God met you there. And Jesus rescued you. Anybody relate to that story? Is that your story? So attending the church is Lydia, successful businesswoman, a now unemployed slave girl, and retired Gentile Roman soldier. And Paul was used to help bring them to meet God. Now Paul, as a good Jewish boy, growing up, would pray the first prayer of the day would be the same prayer that every um, devout Jewish boy or man would pray. And it was this. Oh God, I thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And here Paul, sharing the good news in Philippi, reaches a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. You know, the good news of Jesus breaks cultural barriers, dumb cultural barriers, busts them up. It says, if the good news of Jesus is good, is true for one person, then it's true for every person. Here's one of the two takeaways for me as I'm looking through this. Following Jesus teaches me Jesus is for everyone because everyone matters to him. Everyone matters to him. Um, there's no way that you can ever look at somebody and think, ah, oh, Jesus wouldn't work for them. Everybody is in desperate need of knowing the God who made them and the God who loves them and God who created them to be in relationship with him.
So one of my prayers is, God, would you help us see people the way you see people? Get rid of our categories, our boxes that we put people in, and grow my heart for other people, all people. Is your heart growing? Even people who mistreat you? So now maybe the most bizarre thing happens. Um, next morning, the officials say release the prisoners. They come, uh, the police come to, to Paul and, and uh, says you're free. And then Paul says this, verse 37. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, even though we're uncondemned, and we're men who are Roman citizens. Gulp, you can't do that to Roman citizens. You can't lay a hand on a Roman citizen and punish them unless they have been tried. That they were just grabbed on rumors, held, beaten, and imprisoned. The officials of that of Philippi are in violation of their rights as Roman citizens. Paul had a get out of jail card, you know, for free in his pocket the entire time, and he didn't use it. I don't get that. They would have come after me. I would have said, you can't touch me. Stand back. I'm a Roman citizen. It would have changed everything. What's going on? Here's what I think. I think Paul was so focused on God and making him known to other people who desperately needed him, that he was focused on them and not his rights. Now, man, there, there's maybe nothing more important to us Americans than our rights. We fight about them all the time. I mean, the pandemic kind of, you know, put our battle for our rights on steroids. Paul's not even thinking about his. He's thinking, I am so obsessed with God and making him known that I'm not even thinking about my rights. I want to jump ahead to next week. We're going to hit chapter 17, but there's a verse in 17 that I think speaks to Paul's heart. 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul... While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. His spirit was provoked within him. Here's what that means. Is, as a follower of Jesus, um, Jesus teaches me to desire him and his best for others, even causing me to overlook my own rights and my own personal sacrifice. Provoked means to be filled with passion, to be stirred emotionally from your depths. And I think Paul was looking out and he was seeing people who were giving their lives to idols. 
And it was so upsetting to him because he saw men and women who were going after a life that they hoped would pay off and, and, and be fulfilling and meet their needs and, and cause contentment and joy. And he knew he, he, that they were on a path that's a dead end. And it was breaking his heart because he knew and was so connected to the goodness of God. The God that loved him, that created him, that died for him. There is no doubt, no matter what my circumstances are, that God is not good, that God does not know me, and that God does not care for me. Those are all, he's already proven that he does. He knows me, he loves me, he's pursuing me. Which means I want that for other people. And if we don't have that view of God, then we will never have our spirit provoked on behalf of others. Because we'll just adopt cultural norms. We'll just say the values of, the, of my generation, we got it nailed, we know it. When the truth is, there's one God, and he loves you, and he wants you to flourish. And he says, follow me. And that means even when he's telling you to do something that your cultural norms, your generation, our values as a nation, whatever, it's like it stands against those things. Following God is a path of flourishing with God. And to not is a waste of time. And Paul's seeing people and saying, you're chasing stuff that's not gonna pay off. There's a God who loves you and wants to walk with you and wants to guide you, and he's a good God. And that's what shaped his life. That's what shaped his passion for others. That's why he obeyed and went after following Jesus even when it led him to prison, even when it led him to being beaten. Because God was still better than chasing something else. Do you see the beauty of God's design? Do you see the beauty of God in your own life? It all of a sudden starts putting perspective to things like, yeah, you know, my sexuality, you know, it's, it's common for everybody to do this in our society. And so I'm going to do that because, I, you know, I think it just makes sense. Instead of saying, you know, God just says, you know, protect, protect yourself. And, and when you make a whole life commitment, then make a whole body commitment. Because that's how you're going to flourish. And then we look about at you know, the condition of marriages in our country and divorce and relationships in general. And we see train wrecks everywhere. We see pain everywhere. We see hurt everywhere. And we go, what's going on? But don't put limitations on me because it's okay for me to handle my sexuality the way I want it to. And God's saying, I want you to flourish. I want what's best for you. I'm not trying to make you miserable. And we know things like now, in the last 20 years, even the study of the brain, neuroplasticity, and, and, and what happens with dopamine and other things that, are, that um, are flooding our brain when we're physically intimate with someone. And, and what it does, it makes us um, 
stick to that person. It makes us bond, emotionally bond, mentally, chemically bond with this person. You are the person. And then the more that we have, we use our sexuality in different ways with different people, that stickiness goes away. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe God was thinking about what's best for our relationships. Full life commitment, then full body commitment. Why? Because he wants to make you miserable? No. Because he wants to go against all of the culture around us just to uh, make us weird? No. He wants you to flourish. God is beautiful. He's good. And he has a great design. Following God's life of faith. It's saying, I trust you more than the thinking of my generation. Why? Because God's good. That's what Paul had for the people around him. Ten years later, Paul's in prison again in Rome. And he writes back to the church at Philippi, to Lydia, to the unemployed slave girl to the jailer. And he says this, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, if there's any comfort from his love, and there is, if there's any participation in the spirit, and there is, any affection and sympathy, yep, all of those, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Knowing God and trusting in him transforms how you see the world. Transforms how you see people transforms how you see yourself and your willingness to sacrifice even your own right, rights for the betterment of those around you. Is your relationship with God causing you to value all people? Is your relationship with God causing you to trust God and his design over the ever-morphing cultural norms? Is your heart for people to know God and his best, is that heart turning into a passion? How does that happen? Try harder? No. Spend more time with God. Know him. Spend time in his presence. Then you don't have to hurry and worry. But there's a peace that comes because you know God's good and he's with you and you want to follow him. Let's pray. I just want to give you a second to respond to God. What in here has the Holy Spirit been talking to you about? And then maybe the day for some of you here is the day that you say, I surrender. 
Maybe your, uh, your trust in God has been a religious one. I want to do good to make you like me more. And today you realize, no, he loves me. And I just need to surrender to him. You know, if that, if that is where you're at, then talk to God. Just in the quietness of your own heart, just talk to him. And, uh, and get this clear with him today. And you might j- just um, pray something like this. God, I realize that you love me. And there's nothing I can do um, to make you love me more or less. But because of, your, of Jesus' sacrifice for me, Um, You made a way for me to be forgiven by you, so I ask you to forgive me. And I want to go all in. I trust you. I surrender. And I want to know you more and trust you more. And so, God, would you just take me on that path and make me the, help me live the, the life that you created me to live and be the person you created me to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Father, I pray for each person here that uh, we would more and more, not just with our minds, but we would sit in the reality that you're a good God who loves us, who has a beautiful design for our lives, and we can trust you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Hey, if you, if you just prayed that prayer of surrender to God with me this morning, then um, we have something for you. And so as soon as we're done, you can just go out those doors, the center area there, there's some stations um, there. Go there and just say, hey, I prayed, I prayed with Bill today, um, and you're supposed to have something for me. And they will. It's, it's just a, um, a sheet of information that just kind of reinforces the reality that you just expressed to God and it gives you some verses to look at and then also um, how do you continue to grow now in that relationship with God and, and it gives you some just practical ideas. Online, thank you for being with us. If you prayed along with me this morning, you can get that information as well by going to rollinghills.org slash next steps and uh, give us your information and we'll make sure we get that um, information to you as well. Uh, let's continue to worship as we sing about God. <laughs>